Here are the St. Michael singers with Jesus Calls Us or the Tumult of Our Life's Wild Restless Sea. St. Michael Singers with Jesus Calls Us O'er the Tumult of Our Life's Wild Restless Sea. That was written by Cecil Francis Alexander. She wrote it originally for St. Andrew's Day. Here's David to tell us what's coming up next. Larry Gentis lives in Kirkmichael and is a member of Pitlochry Baptist Church. Larry has enlisted the help of one of his young friends in Kirkmichael to tell the story of Samuel being called by God. I was only a boy, but I heard some strange things when I was about eight years old. I couldn't always talk about it, because if I did, some people get cross. My name is Samuel. When I was a baby, my mum gave me to the great temple in Jerusalem to serve for my whole life. She couldn't have children, so she made a vow to God, saying she'd give her child to him if he gave her one. So there you have it. You may say what? Didn't I have a choice? Well, it wasn't like that. It's a great honour to serve in the temple. In fact, it's the best thing that could happen. My mum came to visit me once a year, and I always looked forward to seeing her, and she always brought me new clothes. I was being taught by the high priest, and that was awesome. His name was Eli, and he was a very kind man. In fact, too kind. Sometimes he let things happen that shouldn't. He had two sons named Hophni and Phineas. I tried to stay away from them, 
As I said earlier, I heard things. If I spoke them, to them people got mad at me. These two don't even ha need a reason to get mad at me. They bullied everyone. They stole meat that was supposed to be used for the sacrifices, and I saw them do stuff to the women helpers. One day, a priest came from another synagogue and told Eli that he had a word from God for him. He told him God was very angry with him because his sons did bad things in the temple. He didn't stop them. He said that his sons were more important to him than God. He said that Eli's family were going to be judged and that his sons would die on the same day. He'd raised up a faithful priest who would not allow these bad things to continue. It was strange that Eli did not seem surprised and kind of expected it. But my bed was near the Ark of the Covenant and one night I heard someone call my name. I thought it was Eli so I went and asked what he wanted. He, he told me he hadn't called me and that I should go back to bed, that maybe it was a dream, but it happened again. And he told me the same thing. It was weird. When it happened a third time, he said, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So that was what I did. Nobody heard from God then, not even Eli. And the voice, his voice, was so beautiful. So, here's what he said, word for word. I am about to do a thing in Israel at with both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. In the morning, I was afraid to tell Eli what I had heard. I mean, imagine you're an eight-year-old boy telling these things to a master of the Torah, a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. How do you do it? He actually made it easy because he knew I had heard something and was avoiding him. He called me and said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So I told him everything that God had said, all of it. I thought he'd get really angry with me, but he didn't. He simply said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It was the same thing as when the other priest came and told him that God was angry with him for not stopping his sons from doing bad things like he was expecting it. Well, it all happened just as God had said. Some years have passed now and I've heard that voice often. God tells me his will and I, in turn, tell it to the people but his voice has not changed. It's a soft, gentle voice, never aggro. But when you hear it, you stop whatever you're doing and listen. How could you not listen to a voice so full of love? I can't. I'm no longer a child, but I still see things nobody else seems to see. Why do you think you might not see him? This is found in the, the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 to 3 in the Bible. Larry Gent is there with a young man from Strathardal who prefers to remain anonymous. Now it's the turn of Marilla Ness 
It's a song based on the call of Samuel and also the call of Isaiah, I, the Lord of sea and sky. Harford is an economist, author and broadcaster. Tim explains to Michael Barclay how he manages to lead such a productive life. Tim, in your latest book, How to Make the World Add Up, you urge your readers 
to stand back from the daily bombardment of news and statistics and take the long view. Uh, I was particularly struck by the idea of the 100-year newspaper. Just explain that for our listeners. Uh, yes. It's, I mean, it's not my idea. I should emphasise uh, Max Rosa, who's a young economist at Oxford, has, uh, has put it forward, and I think he was inspired by the sociologists uh, Johann Galtung and Mari Ruger. But the idea is just to imagine what would a newspaper say if it was only published every 100 years? What would be in the headlines of a newspaper that had last been published in 1921, what would they want you to catch up on? What, what, what have you missed? And you can do the same exercise for a 10-year newspaper, a 25-year newspaper, 50-year newspaper. But it reminds you that there are certain things that we get very exercised by today that would barely register a mention. And there are certain other things that we, we find very difficult to report on on a daily basis, the most obvious one is climate change, for example. Um, but um, on a more positive note, the way the world has been emerging from poverty for the last 200 years. There's never a day when a newspaper could say 300,000 people escaped from extreme poverty yesterday. But it has been true on a large number of days over the last few decades. So this different timescale shows you different things. Coincidentally, you've chosen a piece that was actually written nearly 100 years ago, Janacek's wonderful glagolitic mass. This is another piece that you associate with your father, I think, and it's been quite an influence on you, hasn't it? Well, my father, Adrian, was a big fan, still is a big fan, of Janacek, and the first piece of music by Janacek I heard from him uh, was the Sinfonietta, which is a real crowd pleaser and there's all, all the brass and then some more brass, it's a remarkable piece of music, but then I got one of these cassettes and it on the flip side was Glagolitic Mass, and I didn't know anything about it, except that it was by Janacek, and there's something very strange and mysterious about this piece of music that I fell in love with to be honest, I still don't know that much about it I know that uh, the Glagolitic is the the script of Old Slavonic. So this is a very old language that Janacek was drawing inspiration from. Used to translate the Bible. Yes, I also know that Janacek was a late bloomer, which I think we should all find some inspiration in. He did his best work after he turned 70, and I think Glagolitic Mass was composed, if I'm right, when he was 73. It's that sort of time in his life. But for me, I just like to sit back and, and revel in the mystery of something I don't fully understand.
Leonard Bernstein was conducting the New York Philharmonic in the introduction to the Glagolitic Mass by Janáček. Of course, there's something almost uh, minimalist in aspects of Janáček's craft in the, in the use of repetition, isn't there? There is, and uh, you can sense, I think, in some of my choices, a, a fondness for uh, repetitive minimalistic music, which I hope isn't driving too many listeners insane, but I love it. You are phenomenally productive, Tim Harford, writing columns, books, hosting two regular radio programmes, as well as podcasts. I wonder whether the fact that you don't have a television might have something to do with that. Possibly. I've never had a television going all the way back to when I left home and went off to university. It just never seemed to be a thing that I wanted to have, and I, I never missed it. These days, of course, you know, if you've got a computer, you've effectively got a television. And uh, my, we've got a Netflix account. My children watch Netflix shows, but I, I still... Uh, it, 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 for me, it almost feels like a chore to watch TV. People tell me I should catch up on a particular box set, and I'm still... I still haven't watched The Sopranos. I think that's 20 years ago. I just, I'd rather be reading, I'd rather be playing games, I'd rather be writing, uh, rather be hanging out with friends. TV, if you like it, no problem, but it's not for me. You like playing board games, don't you, which I imagine keeps the grey cells ticking. I, I, I love playing board games. There's a, been a renaissance of board games since the 1990s, so, so I like playing them. Uh, and I'm a big fan of role-playing games as well, the, the most famous of which is Dungeons & Dragons. I won't bore everybody by trying to explain what it is. You either know or you don't know, but it's it's an imaginative, collaborative uh, way to spend time with your with your friends. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm a proud nerd and very happy to admit it. <laughs> and Michael Barclay was talking to Tim Harford. Music. This one was written by a Glasgow minister, Norman MacLeod. Uh, he, among other things, served as moderator of the Church of Scotland that was back in the 19th century. Sung here by the Scottish festival singers to a tune by Sir Arthur Sullivan, this is Courage, Brother, Do Not Stumble, Though Thy Path Be Dark as Night.
the Scottish Festival singers with Courage Brother, Do Not Stumble. It's Sila with He Lives or I Serve a Risen Saviour.
Gait has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's thoughts on Psalm 13. It's followed by Handel's Concerto Grosso, Alexander's Feast, played by the English Concert under their conductor Trevor Pinnock. A response to Psalm 13. Come down to free us, come as our true friend. How long, how long? Oh, do not hide your face or let me sleep in death, but light my end till it becomes a bright beginning. Place your wounded hands in mine and raise me up, that even grief itself may turn to grace. Then I will sing a song of sudden hope. Then I will praise my Saviour, the divine companion, who drank the bitter cup and in so doing made it flow with wine, that his strong love might overrun my heart and all his joy in heaven might be mine. Then I will sing his song and take my part in love's true music as his kingdom comes and heaven's hidden gates are drawn apart. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. They have given us permission to broadcast his recordings, and we hear one of them now. Fear of Landing John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and then they came and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat, privately, to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. Some modern evangelists seem to have forgotten the emphasis that Jesus placed on cost. Don't follow me, he said, unless you've sat down and hard-headedly counted what it will cost you. In this passage, we see the kind of example he set. It begins with Jesus receiving the news of his cousin's death and withdrawing to grieve, followed by the crowd. Jesus didn't have many breaks. This one wasn't allowed to last very long. I can be terribly lazy at times, but I do know how it feels to have two solid blocks of speaking engagements separated only by a plane journey. I understand a fear of flying. Not much fun if things go wrong up there. Options narrow down to less than two. But I enjoy the peace of being nowhere, fending off the food, sleeping through the film, hating first-class passengers and solving yet again the puzzle of the toilet doors. Best of all is being sure that those I left behind are left behind, and not about to suddenly appear, while those who wait will have to wait a while for words and nods and smiles of understanding. I am here, and they are there. I am suspended, dreaming, guiltless in the air. My fear is not of flying, but of landing. The needy crowds claimed Jesus after his brief respite, and it was back to work again, healing, teaching, listening. By the time evening came, you'd have thought he might be entitled to a bit of peace, but he takes upon himself the responsibility for feeding them all. Have you ever asked yourself how long it took to break off enough bread and fish to feed more than 5,000 people? That was one time-consuming, hand-aching miracle. Time for a rest? Not yet. If you've ever watched people descend on a speaker after a big rally, you'll know how long it took for Jesus to dismiss them. And finally, they'd all gone. Sleep now? No. Time for essential prayer. And if you'll read on, you'll see that the night was far from over. Not everyone's called to a life of grinding toil, but the commitment to Christ that is asked of us if we want to be of any use is exactly the same, and we are right to fear it. The cost is very high. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, sometimes we fantasize about doing great things for you, but as with all fantasies, the reality is quite daunting. Show us by your example how to work and rest and pray so that we can be as useful as we are capable of being. Amen. And there you heard Adrian Plass reading from his book, The Unlocking. This is uh, Stephen Hill along with Red Rock's Homecoming and Bigger Than Any Mountain.
of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today she has a story for us about reaching out in love. And so I'm telling a story that was related by an American journalist called Art Butchwald. And he tells this story about a friend of his. And this is what he says. I was in New York the other day and rode with a friend in a taxi. When we got out, my friend said to the driver, Thank you for the ride. You did a superb job of driving. The taxi driver was stunned for a second and then he said, Are you a wise guy or something? No, I'm serious. I admire the way you kept your cool in all that heavy traffic, that you didn't sound your horn when everybody else was sounding theirs. Hmm, said the driver. And he drove off. What was all that about? Asked Butchwald. I'm trying to bring love back to New York, said his friend. I believe that it's the only thing that can save the city. How can one man do that? Butchwald asked. It's not one man, he said. I believe I have made that taxi driver's day to day. He'll think about what I said. And suppose he has 20 other people in his cab today. It may be that he's going to be nicer to those 20 people because someone was nice to him. 
All those people in turn will be kinder to their employees or their shopkeepers or the waiters or even their own families. Eventually, it could spread to at least a thousand people. Now that isn't bad, is it? But you're depending on that taxi driver to pass your goodwill on to others, said Butchwald. I'm not really depending on it, his friend said. I'm aware that my system isn't foolproof. So I might see 10, 20 different people today, and out of those 10 or 20 people, if I can make three of them happy, then individually and eventually and indirectly... I might be able to influence the attitudes of 3,000 more. It sounds good, Butchwall said, but I'm not entirely sure it's going to work. Well, said his friend, nothing's lost if it doesn't. It didn't take any of my time to tell that man he was doing a good job. If he doesn't do it, tomorrow there'll be another taxi driver and I can try to make him happy. Hmm, said Butchwald. Just then, they were walking past a building site where there were five workmen eating their lunch. His friend stopped. That's a great job you men have done. Must be difficult and dangerous work. The men eyed Butchwald and his friend suspiciously. When will it be finished? His friend asked. June, grumbled a man. Ah, that's really impressive. You must be really proud of the work that you're doing. This building is going to be spectacular. As they walked, Butchwall said to his friend, I'm still not convinced. His friend said, when those men think about my words, they will feel good about themselves. They'll feel good about the job that they're doing and somehow the city will benefit from that feeling But you can't do this alone, Butchwall said. You're just one man. I'm back at the beginning of my argument. But I'm not discouraged, his friend said. I might be one. But I'm hoping that other people will enlist in my campaign. Most of us don't realise the impact that we can have on the world by sharing God's love one person at a time. Most of us don't realise that by doing small acts of kindness for others, we can share God's love with them. A man has already turned the world upside down with God's love and his name was Jesus. The world needs a little bit of that love right now. Little actions and little words done and spoken in love. Maybe the little things we say and do will grow into bigger things. Who knows? And who knows one of those little things, those words spoken, might actually contribute to changing the world. One thing happened in our world out of love. We're told it in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And he draws us into his family. And he asks us too to go out and share his love in the world. And Mary Harrow was retelling a story by Art Buchwald. 
And this is Ella Fitzgerald with a song along similar lines, actually. It's Brighten the Corner Where You Are. Brighten the corner where you are. Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true. Just above our clouded skies that you may help to clear. Don't let selfishness your way debar. Though into one heart alone may fall your song of cheer. Brian Dirksen and Everlasting. (laughs) 